the wolf. Height, 5 foot 11 inches. Teeth extend to between 6 and 8 inches in length. His lungs are able to produce pressure at 5,000 PSI, allowing him to easily destroy an average of 2 to 3 houses. Known for his predator personality, the wolf is surprisingly fragile and skittish, while also having a severe short attention span. The wolf howls like a beast and sings like an ape. Hobbies include listening to Stevie Wonder, playing frisbee, and impersonating grandmothers. The wolf may strike fear into the hearts of many, but as with many predators, he's really more scared of you than you are of him. Hey, uh, a big shout out to our Santan campus and then also to Scottsdale. Just so glad you guys are part of this service with us. It's neat to have our extended family all together. Hey, we're in the middle of a series uh, that's called Out of the Woods. And we talked a little bit last week about this idea that uh, it's easy to get into the woods. Uh, You can get into the woods in all sorts of uh, areas in your life. Uh, Some of us have got into the woods occupationally. Uh, We find ourselves in a moment going... This is not what I dreamed I was going to be doing when I was a kid. I, I made a decision here. I took an opportunity there. I thought it was temporary. And now I find myself midway through life going, how did I get here in my career? I, I'm, I'm absolutely in the woods. Uh, some of us are in the woods relationally. We look back and we go, the, the last three or four relationships have all ended with pain and anger and wound and hurt. And I... I, I I just don't get it. I don't, I don't get why it keeps repeating itself. I, I am apparently in the woods uh, when it comes to relate. There's all sorts of areas to get in the woods. But last week, uh, we went after this area of finances. Because, because, you remember for this? If numbers hold true in this room, uh, like they do across, over half of us in this room are in the woods financially. Matter of fact, we asked a couple questions last week to kind of help clarify that and figure out maybe if this was uh, about us or a big deal for us. And we said, look, if, if, if you spend more than you make, you're in the woods financially. If you don't know if you spend more than you make, <laughs> then chances are you're pretty deep in the woods. If, if you're paying the minimums on your credit cards right now and you think that's a financial plan, uh, you're in the woods financially. We said this, and I think this pushed back on a lot of us. If your household income totals $75,000 and you feel pressure in your life, I mean, barring some catastrophic medical situation or, or barring some huge business venture gone bad, if your income, if your income is $75,000 a year into your home and you feel financial pressure, you are in the woods. Because, because, ready for this? Because you are amongst the 1% wealthiest people in the world. If your cumulative total in your household is 75000 a year. And the idea that you can't manage that to have enough margin that you don't feel constant pressure in your life. You're in the woods. If your marriage is struggling, if the thing you find yourself fighting with your spouse is about finances... You're in the woods because there's absolutely no reason for that to be a tension in your home. The reality is you know exactly how much comes in. You put a name to every single dollar and you send it to where it goes. And if that's a constant source of conflict in your relationship, you are in the woods 
uh, financially. Now, I know, I know, some of you weren't here last week and you're slipping in today and going, wow, if I'd known, I don't know if I'd come. And talking about money and church and those two things shouldn't mix. But look, look, look. Understand the heart of this conversation. Here's what I'm thinking. If we can be helpful, if, if I can help you get out of the woods financially, then, then you're going to be in a place where being generous and giving to the Lord is going to be a ton easier for you. So the heart of this is just to say, how, what would it mean, how can we be helpful to get you out of the woods financially? We want this conversation to serve you. And the reality is that... Uh, the next two weeks, we're going to be setting the ground. We're going to uh, finish kind of tilling the soil of the conversation. Two weeks from now, two Sundays from now, we're going to have a super practice. We're going to literally lay a path. We're going to put together a plan to walk ourselves right out of the woods financially. We're going to set it up the next few weeks. And then two weeks from now, and I think every person wants to be in the room because we're going to lay the path uh, for financial freedom uh, in our lives. And, and here's what's going to happen. So you just see, so you get ready. We're going to move from being consumers to being investors. And, and we're going to move from spending everything we get because we have it to actually being percentage livers. That, that we're going to say, look, I'm going, to, I'm going to give a percent to God first. I'm going to give a percent to myself first. That gives me margin and it's my emergency fund. It's what helps me out. And then I, I could use it for a vacation, but I, I'm going to give to myself second. And then I'm going to live off the rest. And suddenly you and I are going to find a path. Okay, and that's two weeks from now. You don't want to miss it. All right, so here's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to try to gain a new perspective. We're going to try to see our money, our stuff, the way that God sees our stuff. If, if this was a, a woods analogy, this would be that moment when you go, okay, I think I'm lost. I, I think I'm in trouble. Here's the problem. I'm not sure where I am, so I have no idea which direction to head from here. And so you would, you would look for some high ground. Uh, you'd crawl up the tallest tree you could find on the high ground because you've got to get above the trees to get a new perspective. And then all of a sudden you, you go, oh my goodness. I, if I were guessing while I was still on the ground, I would have guessed myself a couple miles from me. I mean, I'm in a completely different place than I thought I was. I didn't even have, know I was here. And you would be able to say, you know what, based on what I now know, based on this new perspective of where I am in the woods, I've at least got a general idea of which direction I need to head in order to get out. So you and I are going to try to land that together. You and I are going to land a new perspective about our money and about our stuff. And, and here's the thing, and you guys already know this. If you ask the world, if you go to people who have no regard for God, who don't understand Scripture, and, and you say to them, what's your perspective on money and stuff? It's pretty simple. The one with the biggest pile when they die wins. Wins. The problem is, there's an awful lot of Christ followers with the same perspective. And you say, well, no, no, Lynn, no, no, no. I, I mean, I know better than that, and I know that stuff is never going to buy me happy. No, I, no, I got Based on our behavior, based on where we put our money, what we do with our money, based on how consumeristic we are compared to our neighbors, the reality is there's an awful lot of believers who, although they would tell you with their head, don't believe that buying things and acquiring things can bring them happiness. They must believe it in their heart. And we're going to look to try to see a different perspective 
on our stuff. So grab your Bibles. It's a conversation Jesus has. It's incredibly powerful. It is a perspective-changing conversation. And this new perspective has the power to start heading us for the first time out of the woods. It's uh, Luke chapter 16. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of Luke. And here's what I just want to warn you as you get ready to go. This is probably one of the most bizarre parables that Jesus ever told. Chances are most of you have never heard a sermon on the passage we're about to do because it's funky. I mean, you get to the end, you go, what? But if you can catch it, if you can, if you can grab a hold of what Jesus is teaching in this parable, all of a sudden your perspective turns 180 degrees and you will never be the same if this parable sinks into your life. Okay, so it's Luke chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1. It's the parable of the unfaithful manager. Here, here it is, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Uh, here's what Jesus tells this story. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Keyword, now. Based on what's happening right now, based on the fact I'm losing my job, what do I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Whoa, whoa, I know what I'll do. So that, keyword, when. What do I do now so that when I lose my job, so that when I no longer have any income, I've got a soft landing. What am I going to do now to change that? So that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. Now, just get the moment. When he says welcome me into their houses, that's actually a form of employment. you got to remember it's not the industrial age. You don't have factories. You would look to be employed by somebody with a big house and lots of affairs to manage. You'd say, well, I'll be your manager. I'll take care of the vineyards and I'll take care of, you. I'll take care of the servants. And that's what he's saying when he says they'll welcome me into my house. I'll have a future place of employment on the deal. So, so here's the moment. And here's what you got to get. This guy, sneaky, crafty, disloyal, dishonest, all those things. But he realizes he's at a crisis when he realizes that this, this is a life altering, life changing moment. He says, look, I got to figure out, I got to figure out what to do now so that when I lose this job, I have, I have a soft landing. He, he, he's figured out that, that, Hey, I, I have an incredibly limited amount of time. The, the owner just said to me, look, 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 I'm going to fire you. Go clean up the books close them all out, bring them back to me in a week or so, and then hand them to me, and then you're done. You're done. You're fired. And he says, well, okay, so I got like a week. I've got this incredibly short period of time, and I've got to figure out how to leverage this week for my future success. So I've got this very limited amount of time and a limited amount of opportunity. Back to the passage. Verse 5. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? So you get the moment. He's he's closing out the books. He calls in somebody who owes his master something. Says to him, hey, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, 
Sit down quickly and make it 450. So you get the moment. Here comes this guy. He owes his master something. And he says to the guy, look, look, look. How much do you owe? 900 uh, gallons of olive oil. He says, well, we'll cut it in half. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut it in half. Because if I cut it, you could pay that today, right? You could just take her. This bill would be wiped out. You could pay it today. Yeah, I, I could pay it. I mean, if it was half, I could do that. Do it. Cut it in half. We'll call it even. And as that debtor left the room, as the one who owed his master something left the room, watch, imagine the scene. He turns back to the manager and he says to him, man, thanks. That was, that was just so generous. That was so cool of you. If I can ever do anything for you, just let me know. To which, don't you know the manager was there going, oh, I will. Uh, probably sooner than you think. And the guy leaves. Back to verse 7. Uh, he then asked the second, How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. So all day long, all day long, it's bargain day. It's bargain day. He's, he's taking whatever anybody owes his master. He's cutting it in half. He's making friends. He's influencing people. Now, here's the interesting part. As Jesus is telling a parable, see, people have caught on by now. And they go, okay, okay. Somebody in this parable is God. Somebody in this parable is me. And somebody in this parable is in a lot of trouble. Which makes what Jesus says next all the more surprising and maybe even a little bit confusing. Because watch what Jesus says about the unfaithful servant. You ready? Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. What? Jesus, are you like teaching us to like be dishonest? That at the end justifies the means? She says, no. No, I'm not, I'm not commending the method. I'm commending that the guy was smart. I'm commending the idea that this guy knew exactly what situation he was in, and he lived in a way, given his worldly values, given, given the fact that he had no... Reg- he lived exactly how somebody who doesn't know God should live when he has a tiny window of opportunity and a tiny amount of time in which to pull it off. Th- this guy was genius. As a matter of fact, and his, his, the owner even says to him, dude, I, wow, that was pretty good of you. I don't know if I'd even have thought of that myself. And the guy says, well, aren't you mad? Well, yeah, I'm mad. But I can't get over the fact that you are pretty darn shrewd to be able to pull that off. You knew I was firing you. You built yourself a, t- a soft landing. Watch what Jesus says next. The, ma- the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world, people who don't know Jesus, people who don't have no regard for Scripture, people who don't even consider God within their decisions, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. You get what Jesus is saying. 
you and I could learn something from the dishonest manager. Because we were he understood the moment. He understood that. He had this incredibly small opportunity. He had just a week or so to, to be able to somehow prepare for his people. And he had an incredibly, incredibly limited time. And he pulled it off. And Jesus says, man, I wish, I wish the children of God were that smart. I wish the children of God thought that way. I wish the children of God had a perspective that they understood, you ready? That they live with an opportunity in their lives to do something within a very narrow window of time. I wish the children of God were as shrewd as the dishonest manager. And now Jesus is going to unpack it for us. You ready? Verse 9. I tell you, Jesus says, use worldly wealth. Use this pile. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Here's what Jesus is saying. Someday, you're going to get to heaven. And what you want, what you want when you get to heaven is you want people in heaven who are absolutely thankful and grateful to you for what you did with worldly wealth. You, you want people coming up to you and going, man, my life, my life is so changed because of what you did with that pile. See, you, you, you want to get to heaven and, and have someone walk up and go, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you go, well, why are you thanking me? And they go, well, you had a youth group Bible study in your house, right? Well, yeah. And remember, remember uh, one night some kids were wrestling around and, and they knocked a lamp off the table and it busted. Yeah, I remember, I remember that really well. I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids. As a matter of fact, it was in your living room that I figured out not only who Jesus was, but that I was going to give my whole life. I, I grew, I mean, I can't even tell you how many decisions I made in your living room that changed the course of my life. And I actually went off into ministry. And I have led hundreds of people to Jesus. Matter of fact, back behind me, there are hundreds of people here waiting to shake your hand and thank you for leveraging your living room into something that was eternal. See, and Jesus is saying, you ready for this? Jesus is saying, the goal, the goal is not how big this pile gets. That's not what you measure this by. He says, what you measure it by is that you get to heaven. And eternity has been changed by what you did with this pile. You want people lining up to thank you for how you stewarded this pile. And the goal is not how big this gets. The goal is how much of it can you move over to here? How much can you take a pile that eventually is going to burn up? And guys, you die with the biggest pile. How much do you take with you? Come on, you know this answer. None. And then you end up leaving it to your kids who 
aren't even responsible anyways, and they waste it. I tease Lisa all the time. I say, you know, I'm saving up all this retirement. You're going to get it and marry a younger man. Why am I doing that? Why am I? I need to be at zero when I leave. Guys, everything that you leave in this pile at the end of your life is gone. It burns up. And what Jesus, listen, listen. Jesus is saying, you have an opportunity here. You have an opportunity to do something in a very short period of time that's going to change your future. Do you realize? Do you realize that as you and I take temporal things and leverage them, transform them into eternal purposes, do you realize that that changes eternity? I mean, you and I stand in eternity and God says, man, thank you. There's actually positions of responsibility that have to do with how responsible we were here. And Jesus is saying, look, I wish the children of God got this. That every day of their life, every dollar that comes into their hands is an opportunity. And in a very short there's an opportunity here to do something with that that's going to change this. I wish the children of God knew that and understood that and lived like they believed it. What does that look like? It looks like the Van Hazels, who are a family that come to our church and uh, they own Ace Vending. So you ever gone to one of those little uh, vending machines and bought that stuff that ruins your diet? That's the Van Hazels. They did that to you. So anyways, uh, they own Ace Vending. And uh, they came to a point where they were uh, getting ready to cycle one of their older trucks out of their business. And in that moment, there was the opportunity to sell that truck, make a pretty decent profit off of it, and, you know, put it back into the business. And in that moment, they began to say to themselves, I wonder, I wonder if the church could use this. And they came to us with an offer and said, hey, we, we know we could get this for the truck. We're willing to let you have the truck for this. Would, would you guys have any interest? Hugely reduced. Bargain deal. And we eventually said, yeah, you know, we, we would like to do that. You realize that crazy white panel truck that they sold us at an incredible sacrificial discount. We used it to move equipment out to Santan when we began to launch or to take over that campus and be part of it. We used it. We used that panel truck when we set up Scottsdale. We moved everything up there to launch Scottsdale was in that way. Can I tell you the countless, countless events that we've done as a church, that that white panel truck has been there hauling the equipment. And at those events, think about this, at those events, people's lives have been changed. White panel truck. And if that's not enough, you want to hear something really fun. Chandler City has an ordinance that you can only put up banners so many days in the city of Chandler. You have to go get a permit, and then they say, okay, well, that's five-year days. That's gone. You can't, you know, you only have a few left for the rest of the year. So they've got this really strict ordinance on how many banners you put up. But guess what they don't have an ordinance for? Any signs on the side of a truck. (laughs) Do you know how many times we have parked that truck on the corner with, friend day, come on! You, there are people sitting in this room. There are lives in this room changed because of a white panel truck. And you don't, you don't believe that God took into account and knows what they could have sold it for and what they were willing to not get 
in order to leverage a white panel truck into something that was eternal. See, Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. you've got an opportunity to do something that matters. I wish the children of God were as shrewd as the people of this world. It'd be my mom. And most of you probably have not met my mom, although she comes to church here every single Sunday because she is probably the quietest person you'd ever want to meet. She would be, if I ever brought her up, she would be so terrified. Her goal in life is to not be noticed. That's a good day. I went to the restaurant. No one saw me. When we got ready to plant Cornerstone 20 years ago, she allowed two of the founding pastoral families to live in her house. I think I was nine months, ten months. Her old sewing room was the first Cornerstone office. Do you realize that everything that's happened at Cornerstone since, my mom owns a little piece. Because she leveraged something temporal. Her house. For a purpose that was eternal. See, I just think every person who comes to Jesus, every Christian who walks forward in maturity, I think God pays a little dividend. It was her opportunity. I, you know what? She doesn't even own that house anymore. I drive by all the time. And I go, man, God, thank you. Thank you for a mom who wasn't about building piles and said, is there some way to me to take an empty room, a couple rooms in my house and turn it into eternity? And guys, I'm just going to tell you, when this lands, when you get this, when this begins to sink in, you you will walk through every day of your life different. You'll, you'll walk uh, out to your car and you'll go, man. That, that's a pretty serious payment. I wonder if there's any way to leverage that that I'm using for a car into something for eternity. To, to have a dividend on that thing. I, I wonder if there's neighborhood kids that I could drive to church on Sunday or to children's programming on Tuesday. I mean, that would turn a car payment into something eternal, wouldn't it? You, you'll, you'll walk through your house and you go, we got an empty room. It's, it's the guest room. But I... I I wonder if there's a chance to do something eternal with that. I, I, I wonder if we could like put a seminary student in there who's getting ready for a ministry and just say, hey, it's yours. I wonder if we could foster a kid and in the process of fostering, lead that child to Jesus Christ. We would take, we would take an empty room and turn it into something that had eternal value. As Jesus says, man, I wish... I wish the children of God were smart as that unfaithful servant. So not only do you and I have this amazing opportunity. Did you ever wonder why God gave you and me so much? Did, you, did, did that ever cross? Because think, think about this. We said to you last week, if you got $75,000 total income into your house, you're in the 1% rich, which means this, ready? If we lined you up with 99 other people from around the world, you'd be the richest dude. You'd be the richest gal. Did, did you ever wonder why God gave you... Why were you born in America? Why did he trust you and me with so much? Doesn't that make you and I one of those five-talent Christians? You know what I'm talking about? The parable of the five-talent? Aren't we the ones that have the most? Which means... Guys, think about this. If you and I have got the biggest pile to work with, doesn't that give you and I the greatest opportunity... Because I'm just thinking, if I'm living 
If I'm living in Ecuador right now, it takes just about everything that touches my hand just to put a roof over my family's head and just to put food in their in their bellies and maybe to get them clothed. And the amount that I have left over to leverage for something eternal is tiny. Why? Why in the heck did God give you and me so much? Why, why have we been given so much opportunity? And we would skip that. And Jesus says, man, I wish. I wish the people of God were as shrewd as the unfaithful servant. There's a second part. Time is short. You get, you get that, right? You get... See, see, we... Again, this is where our perspectives are. We say to ourselves, oh, 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 oh. I got 80, 80-something years. That's what I got. And so, you know, somewhere in there, I'll, I'll do something. I got 80 years. A lot of time. And Jesus says, man, do you not understand this? You don't, you don't get this. This is, this is a tiny drop of time. And what you do in this tiny drop of time has huge ramifications for you. In uh, Haruma, where we do the children's home, when kids get through high school, it's their senior year graduation, the government, think about this, the government gives them one test. One test. They go in, they do about six hours of just grilling on everything they've learned. And then you have to hope you're a really good test taker because based on that one test that you get to take one time determines your whole future. The government will come back and say, based on your score, you are allowed to go to college. Or based on your score, you're going to go to trade school. Or based on your score, you're going to go dig ditches. But they literally will tell you, based on that one test that you take one time, your whole future gets set up. If I, if I were taking that test, I'd do some heavy-duty studying. Exactly what Jesus says. You get, you're taking a test. You get that that 80 years that you and I live on this earth, God's looking to see what type of grade you and I pull. That if this is the 80 years you and I live, Jesus would say, guys, 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 don't miss this. That's a dot. If you take, if you take eternity, if you, if you take forever after, your 80, your 80, that's a dot. And what you score in the dot changes eternity for you. It changes what sort of responsibility you're given in heaven. It changes what sort of honor you're given in heaven. God, what can I do? I, I, I'm, I'm betting you that on our eternity rope, what, what maybe 200 more dots? So stop and think about this. If I told you today, what you do in this one dot, in this one lifetime, is going to affect 200 lifetimes to come. We'd get pretty serious about the dot, wouldn't we? And yet here's the reality, guys. This rope's not long enough. If I took this rope and took it out the door, took it across the parking lot, if I'm trying to measure eternity... That rope is still not long enough. And Jesus is saying, guys, 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 don't you get it? 
that you and I living on this earth, if we get confused and start trying to build piles, what we don't understand is that you and I have a small window of opportunity with an incredibly limited amount of time to do something that affects our entire future. Now, here's what I'm thinking. And I think this is what Jesus was thinking in the moment. How's this possible? How is it, how is it possible that the people of this world are smarter about this kind of stuff than the children of God? How is it that you and I are missing this lesson so monstrous? How is it possible? And the best I can come up with is two, two ideas. Number one is you and I really don't believe in eternity. That you and I, if you get us right down to it fundamentally, believe that whatever 80 years we have here is what counts. And so that's why we're living like people who don't believe in eternity. And we're building piles as big as we can. Because fundamentally, as much as we was, oh, yeah, I think. But we don't believe really that it's there. And that what I do here is going to affect that we do. I don't believe it. Or option number two. We're really dumb. We're really dense. Because if we believe, think about this, guys. If we believed that everything that God has placed in our hands is an opportunity to take something that's temporal and make it eternal, to, to take something that, that, that's going to burn up anyways and go away and suddenly do something that, that all of a sudden brings me honor and prestige for all eternity in heaven. And that I've only got a short 80 years to navigate that. If I were shrewd, if you were shrewd, we would become professional pile movers. You you and I would be amazing at getting this pile to go to that pile. So we either don't believe it, or we're a little dense. Jesus said, I wish the children of light were as smart as the unfaithful manager. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a chance to be shrewd. Okay, you ready? I'm going to give you and I an opportunity to start getting a new perspective and start heading our way out of the woods. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Inside of every one of your programs today, uh, your weeklies, we gave you a budget. I'm going to ask you to go home. I'm going to ask you to fill this out in detail. It's really easy. You go online, you pull up your last two months of uh, bank statements, just fill in where did the money go? Because, 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 if you don't know where you are in the woods, you'll have no idea how to get out of the woods. And if you have no idea where that money is going, and I go, no, 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 but you're going, well, I think, no, 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 no. This will tell you. And guys, 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 guys. This is an important enough conversation that wishful thinking doesn't suffice. And I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm challenge you. I'll, I'll make you guys a bet. I'll make you a bet that if you'll take the time to do the last two months of statement, figure out when, I'm going to bet you that the average family in our church has at least $500 a month that slips through their fingers and they can't quite figure out where it went. Well, I think maybe star, I don't know. Think about this. If you were even to leverage a hundred of those dollars into eternity, how much further you'd be. So I'm, where are you? That's all I'm asking. Where are you? Then here's the last one I'm going to ask you to do. 
when you fill this out, when you get this done, put an E, put an E next to every single line that has eternity on it. In other words, you say, hey, that's my house payment, but you know what? I am. I'm, I'm fostering a kid and I'm leading them. And so it, there's eternity on my house payment. Hey, no, 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 no. My car, my car's got an E next to it because I'm bringing kids to church with my car. So every line that has eternity, put an E next to it so you have any sense of how good you and I are at moving piles. If you get this, if your perspective goes, what? This has the possibility of getting us way out of the woods. This could change everything in our conversations. Jesus goes on. Here, here's, here's what he says. Ready? Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true Riches, eternal riches. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, so let me just, everything that you have right now, who owns it? Who gave it to you? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, why will they give you your own? It's an amazing conversation. And what is just basically Jesus said, look, look, here's the bottom line of this. God is looking for people who are faithful. People who understand the power of moving piles. How many of you guys know who Marty Sawyers is? Okay, good. Four of us. All right. No, there's a reason you probably don't know who Marty Sawyers is. Because Marty Sawyers probably wouldn't want you to know who he is. Marty Sawyers is our senior exec on staff. He's number two, uh, only to me. Runs and manages our staff, our Whole, the whole thing. About five years back, I found myself in a place where we did not have that position. And I can't even tell you the workload and the stress that came on me because that position was empty. And I, and I thought, who, who in the world, who would be remarkable at this? And in the process of thinking that, I thought, you know what? I'll bet you Marty Sawyers could do this. So I took Marty Sawyers out for a cup of coffee. And I said, Marty, I've got an offer you can't refuse. I'm thinking, I'm thinking if you would leave your job, come and work for the church for half the salary. This could be really good. Anybody want to guess what he did? He left the job. Pain twice. Matter of fact, if you pull into the staff parking lot today, the oldest, cruddiest car in the staff parking lot is Marty Sawyer's van. He does that because he took the job. You, you don't think God noticed that? You don't think that wasn't a pile move? But here's the part that I want to tell you about Marty Sawyers. Marty Sawyers loves Cornerstone. He absolutely believes in this place. He believes that anything that promotes Cornerstone promotes Jesus. That anything that moves Cornerstone forward moves you and me forward into deeper maturity and more growth in our lives. And because of that, I can take any assignment and hand it to Marty Sawyers and say, Marty, here it is. It's a messy deal. It's got a lot of work. But that's the goal. That's what I need you to get done. And you know what Marty says to me? Don't think about it again. And I turn 
and I walk away. Because, because you're ready for this? Because he's faithful. Because whatever gets placed in his hands, he's going to be faithful with. You get what Jesus just said. I'm looking for some Marty Sawyers. I'm looking for people that I've, I, I can put a big pile of stuff in their hands and say to them, get as much as you can of this pile over to this pile. And I can turn my back and know, and know, they'll be faithful with it. Fill out, fill out a budget. Figure out how many E's you can put down. And then figure out if you need to put a few more to be faithful. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, uh, we simply come to the moment. It's almost, it's almost shocking to us that you would say, I wish my children were as shrewd as the unfaithful servant. But we get it. We get it. He understood that he had a limited amount of time and a small window of opportunity to do something that was going to impact his future, was going to cause him to be able to have a soft landing. And if a person who doesn't honor God and doesn't regard you can be that shrewd, given an opportunity in a small window of time, how much more your children... How much more those of us who you've trusted with so much. God, make us great pile movers. Help us, help us to be the faithful servant that you can turn your back on and go, I know, I know left to their own choices and their own, they will move so many piles over to eternity. I don't even have to check because they're faithful with what I've given. God, it's a whole new perspective. It's a whole new way of looking at our stuff. But it'll get us out of the woods. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.